it's the, the old they came for and I it wasn't me. You know, they came for the Latin mass Catholics, but that wasn't me, so I didn't care. And then they came for the uh, radical evangelical types, and I didn't care because I wasn't one of them. And eventually it's going to be like, yeah, now we're at all the Christian masses, you know, Christian services of all kinds. <laughs> All right, welcome to this bonus edition of the Loopcast. Today, we actually have a recurring guest, not the first time, and it won't be the last. We have Kyle Serafin, ex-Air Force, former FBI, uh, true American whistleblower here. He was first brought to the Loopcast to talk to us about how there's a radical traditionalist Catholic memo that was within the FBI and then soon has kind of expanded to be national. So Kyle, thanks for taking the time to join us, man. Happy to be here. Thanks, Tom. Cool. So Kyle's kind of become a minor celebrity here. He's been on Tim Cast. He's been all over the place, but... The reason we bring him back to the Loopcast, not because he has good things to say, but he truly is an expert in the domain. And that's something I wanted to touch on here. So starting off, we have the memo in Virginia. And of course, the FBI kind of led us to believe, well, that's just kind of a one-off. And then we eventually hear from Chris Ray, director of the FBI, that there actually was an FBI agent embedded in at least one Catholic church across the country, mainline, Latin mass, all of them. Did that surprise you that it expanded to a national level or was that just kind of a foregone conclusion to you? Uh, for me, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. If they're in for a penny, they're in for a pound. That's the nature of the Bureau, right? Uh, and the other thing is, is that they're chronic obstructionists when it comes to giving out information or telling the truth. For whatever reason, Chris Ray just has a real problem with being out there in the world and, and sharing things that are factually accurate and not um, not hiding things. And, and I think that's just, it goes to the nature of the FBI being an intelligence agency, uh, an intelligence organization. That is the default position for intel agencies. They don't give out the truth to people because they think that they're the only ones entitled to information and, you know, that's sort of their purview to to hold it and to dole it out when necessary and, and to the, the goals that they have. Uh, regarding putting FBI agents in, you know, it's it should be something that's antithetical to people's oaths because we all swear an oath not to the FBI, but we swear an oath to the Constitution. And that doesn't matter whether you're in the military or whether you're in law enforcement uh, or civilian service. All these things have the same oath, but it has nothing to do with where you actually work or where your paycheck comes from. Uh, it should be about defending the constitutional government, but moreover, really the, the Bill of Rights. I think that's the biggest piece that, that affects government employees is that they shouldn't be encroaching on First Amendment protected liberties. They shouldn't be walking into the space where they could encroach on those liberties, and they have to be on guard in order to make sure that the agency doesn't ask them to do something that's illegal, immoral, or unethical. And right now, a lot of people are more than willing to do those things as long as they keep their paycheck, which is incredibly dangerous and also probably really scary for people in the religious communities. Yeah. And why Catholics? Simple question. But why Catholics? Why are they a threat? It's, it's a really strange um, answer. I don't know why specifically. So it's a lot, a lot of speculation on my part. Number one, most weird is that the FBI is one of the most Catholic ridden, you know, Catholic permeated organizations <laughs> you could ever imagine. Like everybody you deal with there is Catholic. I kept talking to people and people would drop in, oh, you know, we went to mass on Sunday and all this. And it's very, very common, both in the training, uh, in the agent population, probably less so in the Intel community, but still it's there. Um, so that's really strange. I think what they did is they tried to say, who is a fringe group of mainline Christians that we could go after. And so there's a political left leaning within the church right now, which I'm learning about and wasn't really part of my foundational understanding of the church, but apparently there's a left leaning part of it that wants to stop the traditional Latin mass. They want to get rid of the vernacular. They don't like the way that things have progressed. And I think when you open the door up 
in Catholicism to say, hey, the traditional ways are not necessarily the right way. We're going to do this, you know, post-Vatican II uh, doctrine, which is mainline. I mean, that's the way I grew up. I do remember going to Latin mass churches, but they're much more fringe. I think they said we could take a fringe group of a, of a larger group of mainline Christianity, and that will help us pry bar our way in because people go, it's the, the old they came for, and I, it wasn't me. You know, they came for the Latin mass Catholics, but that wasn't me, so I didn't care. And then they came for the uh, radical evangelical types, and I didn't care because I wasn't one of them. And eventually it's going to be like, yeah, now we're at all the Christian masses, you know, Christian services of all right. kinds. So I think it was just a pry bar to get into mainline Christianity for all Christians, which is why it's in the, in the sense of the word Catholic being universal, it is a universal problem that they were going after this particular church with 70 million adherents in the U.S. Yeah, and we heard tripwire and source development. And speaking to a former agent here, I know this is speculation because you don't know exactly what happened. And we actually filed the FOIA to find out exactly what happened. What are the potential methods of surveillance that you think could have been used, like practically, as an agent, what do you think was done? So they talk about tripwires and source development. Let's kind of break out what those are. A tripwire or a liaison contact is sometimes the same thing. Those are overt and public contacts. So that's an FBI agent with credentials walking in to the, to the office in a parish and saying, look, I'm with the FBI. These are some concerns we have. We'd like to let you know about them so that if you see them, you can call us. Okay, that's a tripwire. We use them in counterterrorism all the time. Let's uh, use a famous example from the Timothy McVeigh Oklahoma City bombing. What you would do is you say, well, what did he use? He used a huge amount of fertilizer, ammonium nitrate base, and you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of it when he didn't have a farm. So I'm going to go to feed stores and agricultural supply spaces, and I'm going to say, if you see somebody, and now this is all restricted at this point, but uh, if you see somebody who wants to buy, let's say, 1,000 pounds of an ammonium nitrate base fertilizers, and they don't look like, you know, they pulled up in a Mercedes, and they didn't have a, a truck, and they don't look like a guy who you know, wears boots to work kind of deal. Maybe you could give us a call and kind of let us know about it and, and say what your suspicions were. But this is the thing we'd like you to be on the lookout for. And so then the feed store would say, okay, no problem. Thanks. I'll keep your card. They pin it to a bulletin board. That's your liaison. That's your trip wire. If something happens, it trips that wire. And then the FBI is notified. Um, source development is something radically different. Source development is what we often know as confidential human sources, or people will know them as informants. And that is going and creating a, a covert contact, a confidential contact that will be looking for things that they are tasked with. These are specific source and handler type things. And it could be into a drug organization. It could be into human trafficking. It could be into a white collar fraud operation where people are laundering money. And it could apparently be into a church, which is what we're seeing. And they're theoretically looking for- These don't match. This, which one Yeah, no, which they, one they don't make belong. any sense at yeah. all. <laughs> it's exactly right. It's so incongruous to the way people would imagine that this sort of law enforcement entity would go. But it's to theoretically you know, look for signs of white supremacy uh, I guess completely forgetting the fact that white supremacists in the United States, at least their history, is sort of a hatred for the Catholic Church. That's kind of pretty straightforward. The KKK was famously against the Catholic Church. And then the reason that they used to write it up in this particular document we were discussing is that they said there's a uh, sort of a, a common cause between white supremacists and radical traditional Catholics, which is a made-up term, um, because they— Also they, not real. Yeah, just— you know, you go to Catholic mass, you're not going to find anybody that's considered a radical traditionalist. I don't even know what that means. Uh, but <laughs> end of the day, those people uh, apparently have the same feelings on LGBTQIA, you know, public rights or, or uh, specialized rights. They have the same feelings about legalized abortion and, uh, and you know, to try to, um, to reduce that in the States or try to get rid of it altogether. And then they have the same feelings about immigration, that it should be legal. So all these sort of like mainline, I wouldn't even say they're Christian positions. These are mainline conservative positions at this point that people sort of believe that. 
And so if you're going to draw a line around people that go to the traditional Latin mass, you know, TLM Catholics are apparently just like every other conservative, which is that they are potentially yeah. white supremacists if you're the FBI. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I want to continue on the lawsuit, of course, but a question about source development. So you were involved with uh, the targeting of parents at school boards. Did you see uh, in your, when you were whistleblowing, similar things like they were developing sources within communities to be like, oh, if this mom is upset about how a school board's going and they talk about it in, say, a Facebook group, we need to know about it and these people need to be stifled. Is that what was happening? So I didn't uh, specifically see that. What I saw, and the reason, so my whistleblowing is kind of specific. And, and to be a federal whistleblower, you actually have to qualify under the statute, which is 5 USC uh, 2023, I believe. And so it's not very exciting to say what it is, but you have to be, you have to allege a concrete allegation of either fraud, waste, and abuse, or a violation of one of five different particular um, violations of rules or policies. And what I believed happened was that the attorney general said that he was not going to use counterterrorism resources against parents at school boards. And then I got an email forwarded to me from the assistant director of counterterrorism at the FBI saying that they were going to actually tag these investigations. So that's the very specifics of it. When it comes to actually doing the, uh, the implementation of that sort of investigation, we have such a fractionalized or factionalized society at this point that they don't have to recruit sources to, to report parents that are being rowdy at school boards. They've got mainline media sources that are doing it. There are people that are on the school boards that are actually, you know, calling in the tip line and reporting. And that's what happened. The tip lines were the ones that were, were coming in. So they didn't have to go recruit anybody. People already knew the FBI was going to go after these parents. And so if they didn't have the same position, if they didn't, you know, if you were a pro CRT parent who hates guns and loves abortion and wants transgender kids using whatever bathroom they want, then you're calling in on the, uh, on the traditional type conservative parents and you're reporting them to the FBI. And some of them got investigated to the tune of at least two dozen by the time that uh, my buddy went and, and pulled the files on it. So we had, you know, 23, 24 parents who were identified as potential, you know, domestic terrorist type subjects and being tagged with that threat tag in investigations, but they didn't have to go ask anybody because that's, that's the nature of our country right now is that we got to, you know, what do they always, when I was a kid, they used to say, you know, snitches get stitches kind of thing. And you don't go, ta you don't be a tattletale is sort of the nice version <laughs> right. of that. Right? And, right. and now everybody loves a tattle and, and they're happy to have the FBI do their dirty work for their political yeah, what party. What happened there? I feel like that was a, it got accelerated with COVID too. I remember the yep. government was telling you, tell on your neighbors if they have too many cars in front of their house, call someone, let someone know. Yep. Has that always been around in us or is that just a recent phenomenon? It's recent. Um, it's, it's, so I, I mentioned this on Timcast. You dropped, you brought that up. And one of the things that he and I were talking about, and the guys that were on the panel, uh, Seamus and Phil, we were discussing how the kids aren't punk rock anymore. You know, when I was a kid, it was kind of like, damn the man, save the empire. That was like a, a famous uh, uh, movie. It was called Empire Records. Rage and Against they, the Machine. Uh, exactly. They were all of these different sort of uh, entities. This was sort of the, the, the hallmark of youth was that you push back against the establishment because that's what youth was about. And then sort of the funny thing is, is as you grow older, you realize why this establishment exists and you sort of defend it. And, and that's the natural swing, I think, historically for people is that they start off in a very sort of like freewheeling. They have no responsibilities. They don't have any tax obligations. They don't have any children. They got no skin in the game. So, you know, uh, one of the examples I gave is that, you know, when you're a kid, you might think it's a good idea to steal a stop sign because it looks really cool on your wall. You want to have a stop sign at your wall. So you yep. got to go steal that. But as you're an adult, you go, well, now there's not a stop sign and somebody could run that stop sign and kill somebody. And that's a consequence. But you don't have consequences when you're young. Right now, what we have is a bunch of young people who are deliberately and aggressively towing the line and forcing the establishment, which is the opposite of my entire life. And I think most of American history has not been that way. Nobody was like, 
you know, they, I actually called my daughter this the other day and she was very offended because she didn't know what it meant until I explained it. And then she was offended. I said, you're kind of a square. And it was actually because she had like, a, <laughs> she had a square thing. I don't know what it was. And I go, what are you, a square? And she goes, what does that mean? And my wife and I explained it to her historically, but that's like a fifties way of saying, Hey, uh, you're kind of a nerd. You're a yeah. young person who likes the establishment. This is the baseline for a lot of youth right now. They are pushing this sort of weird Democrat position, this leftist position, which is a statist, um, you know, step in line, bootlicking, whatever you want to call it. It's, it was always a pejorative and now it's considered a virtue. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, roasting your children is one of the great joys of parenthood for sure. Uh, 100%. Bill's character. I, I fully believe in it. Uh, so, and you, I, one of the most radical things you can do today, I think you actually alluded this to in different interviews is have a family attend mass, be Christian. Like th that, that is what's being targeted, right? Like that's a radical way right. of living. And so Catholic vote actually files the FOIA request to figure out what's going on. What, why, what are the mechanics behind spying on Catholics here? Why is it happening in the first place? Who approved it? Yada, yada, yada. Usually what happens to my understanding is the FBI will then come back narrowing the scope of what the FOIA request is about and saying, well, could you make it more specific what you actually want? And it kind of goes back and forth. It's a long time. That doesn't happen. The FBI didn't do that. So we reached the period of time in which we need it back. We don't get information back. So Catholic Vote sues for that information. Now we're going to have this lawsuit. Did it surprise, like, did any alarm goes, bells go off when they didn't narrow that request? Because typically that does happen, right? And so how long of a process now are we looking at to actually get the truth on this? However long they can make it go. It doesn't surprise me at all. Um, the FBI, like I said, it, it's over the years, probably since 9-11, uh, it's moved on for the last 20 something years to become a full-on intelligence agency, which does not give up its secrets lightly. And they're going to defend it with ongoing investigation claims, which is the same thing they've done with the sort of Hunter Biden stories. Um, that just happened recently this week. Um, there's a, the, the ongoing sort of, uh, we have sources and methods and we must protect them. And so sources are going to be either human sources or technical sources and methods are the ways that they obtain information and store it. So they're going to hide that. They will obfuscate anything they can in order to not share it. Because look, uh, the people that I talked to when I was doing interviews, whether it be Dan Bongino or the guys like Tucker Carlson or Jesse Waters, any of these kind of people that I went on and spoke about this stuff, nobody has ever seen the FBI, one, acknowledge that a document was legit, and two, that they were going to pull it because they were embarrassed. This was a legitimate black eye. But what's very interesting is that, you know, their interest is not in what's the right thing? Have we done the wrong thing? How do we get back in the good graces of the American people? You know, how do we correct this problem that we've created? What they do is, and in a shocking way, is they said, how do we protect the brand of the FBI? So I've got friends who are working in the intel community that are part of the FBI's intel structure. And they said the meetings they had involved the following guidance. Anything you write that's unclassified could be leaked to the media. You have to write it in such a way that it doesn't embarrass the FBI. And we need to go and protect the brand. Not, hey, don't write articles or don't write uh, in Intel products that are disparaging a religious group in this country, particularly one that has a huge mainline <laughs> population group that supposedly the president of the United States ascribes to. Don't do that. No, that's not what they said. They said, protect the brand, polish the badge. It's all about um, messaging and imaging, and it has nothing to do with whether they're doing right and wrong. Because, um, you know, you mentioned some of the stuff earlier about the way that things are going. I think what they're trying to do, I think they're trying to take the G from government and replace place the G from God. So they're, they're very, very strongly trying to move down the line where human beings rely on the government. And that is a very leftist position. That's a statist position. It's a communist, a totalitarian, you name it. Any of the bad things that have happened in the last 150 years have come out of government is your solution and your savior. 
And it, that's antithetical to a Christian position and obviously a Catholic as well as a more specific. So Christians don't accept that. And if you're not going to accept the government to come in and run your life the best way, then you're not going to let the government raise your children. And you're not going to let the government impart its values, which are continuation of government and more government. So, you know, you are the resistance. And, and that actually goes back to exactly what we said. The resistance is people who have families that want to be self-reliant, that want to have a garden maybe. Um, and so all of these want things get you- yeah, all these things are going to put you on the list of potential violent extremists. And specifically, it's a 266-O, O like Oscar, is the actual title that the FBI has for it, which is, uh, it's a domestic violence or a domestic extremist case where you are a anti-government, anti-authority violent extremist, which is to say, you don't think the government should run every aspect of your life, which hopefully is all of us. So having that tag on your profile by the FBI, what is that, what are the consequences that come with that practically? It depends on, on um, you know, if they actually create a, a case on you, that's an intelligence case. So an intelligence case is not limited by the, the predication of a criminal act. In other words, no criminal allegation has to be wa uh, lodged against you for them to do that. And then they can collect on you, and they can collect on you for various reasons. I got an email the other day from Iranian state media. It was a, someone from, a, it was a TV reporter from Press TV, which I'd never heard of, but it's in Tehran. And so with that contact alone, and I can't get into the specifics of it because they're actually classified under... Appendix G of the FBI's Diog, which is, you know, it's actually a classified paragraph that says why they can do it. But because somebody from a foreign country was reaching out to me, that's part of their state-sponsored media, they can open up a full intelligence case on me and they can collect whatever they want to. They can get my bank records. They can uh, write off these, the subpoenas are called uh, national security letters, NSLs. And they're like a subpoena, except they're just approved by the FBI's uh, special agent in charge of an office. <laughs> and they're not, uh, they're not going through a court. And so they write off and they can get your bank records, your phone records. Uh, they can find out, you know, um, social media history is pretty straightforward, but they may be able to get more than that. Uh, they may be able to get into, you know, your email or I probably always said all the electronic collections you'd expect, all the financials you'd expect. And then they can put surveillance teams on you because they've opened a case so they can authorize that. So somebody can follow you around, whether it be federal air marshals, like I alleged happened to me the other day, or um, it could be, you know, a physical surveillance team like I used to work on. The, the scary thing is, is that, if there's no allegation of wrongdoing and they're going to follow you around, that means that there's human beings that are saying yes all along the lines, which that's the scariest to me because there, there are potentials for them to throw kind of the BS flag on this stuff. And I don't think it's happening because people want to keep their paycheck and they want to keep that pension, which is, you know, it's an incentive for sure. Yeah. And this goes back to your earlier point, dare I be charitable, the FBI, and you probably know more about the actual origins and the intention of the FBI they say, oh, we have an ongoing investigation. And I think Senator Schumer has said, oh, well, you know, the FBI is around to go after, you know, pedophiles or uh, white co collar crime, like things that are actually bad, you know, not the Catholic churches, the three things that are actually bad. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you think philosophically the line is between it, an element of secrecy being necessary for the FBI and uh, accountability for their actions? I think that it comes down to a criminal predicate. If there is not a criminal predicate act, that they are, they are starting an investigation based on the allegation or information that a federal crime happened and they are going to get to the bottom of who's doing it, then they have no business doing so. So that's the entire domestic intelligence apparatus, which has grown dramatically with uh, tools like the Patriot Act, with things like the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Those things are not law enforcement. Now, I would love to see if we have to have a domestic intelligence apparatus at all, and I'm not crazy about having one at all in, in this country. I don't think it's American. But if we do have to have one, there needs to be a significant and aggressive firewall that says these tools cannot be used 
um, by a law enforcement entity. I've been making this joke that the FBI is actually a trans organization, um, that they're having a Bud Light <laughs> moment right now. And, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have transitioned from being a full-on law enforcement agency with maybe a 10% mission doing some intelligence work, which was supposed to be leading towards crimes like espionage, like counterproliferation, which is when someone takes our technologies and they go to Iran or they go to, you know, uh, North Korea with it, take our night vision, which we left for the Taliban apparently, but, um, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, like uh, the Chinese I shouldn't reverse laugh. engineer. That's not it, funny. It's not funny, but it's, it is funny. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's absurd. We're living in the upside down. Um, but they've transitioned from doing that mission where everything sort of had a, pr a criminal basis. And in fact, all special agents are not in fact special agents under their job title. The job title is criminal investigator. It's a federal code. It's a federal uh, job position that's known as 1811. And so if you look at an 1800 series, that's enforcement and investigations. And then 1811 specifically is criminal investigator. That's federal agents. And so those people, they're not special agents. They're actually criminal investigators, but they're putting these criminal investigators into intelligence investigation roles where there is no crime alleged. So anything that is non-criminal is really dangerous. But again, to, to continue the analogy, the Bud Light moment is when you go from being a law enforcement entity and you have the, you know, the badge and the gun and all the authorities that go with it, and you transition to an intel agency, but you keep the package in the way that some of these, uh, <laughs> these uh, guys that are dressing up in, in women's clothing are doing, you know, they, they maintain the bulge or badge, you know, <laughs> they still have that law enforcement capability. That's what secret, secret police are made of. They're made of intel plus enforcement. And we can't have it. Not in this country if we want to remain free. It's really incredibly dangerous. I don't think there's any political will to get rid of it either, though. That's the scary thing. Yeah, secret police, uh, that, that those two words combined don't have a good history, I'd say. Uh, no, over the course of not world history. Especially not for religious people. Definitely not for religious people. So, Kyle, I got you here. I want to talk about some other FBI topics. So one that recently came on, George Santos mm -hmm. is now being, uh, he's being charged with fraud for some $500 COVID era payment. It, of all the things that he has lied about, that seems like a pretty small one. And I think what was interesting about the story to me was not that he was being uh, charged. It was that the FBI, someone had come out and say, the FBI has a, had approached me to become a source. So that source development once again, and that's how we got to the bottom of this. It seems like the FBI was being used to target a political opponent, right? Because they had to really dig to go find this. Was that surprising to you that that was happening? Or is, is that a standard operating procedure for the FBI to just implant sources in politicians? Yeah, yes and no is the answer. Because when I was working counterintelligence, I was told in no uncertain terms that if we wanted to get a source into a member of Congress's staff or to be targeting anybody as a, a employee of a co-equal branch of government, the legislative branch, then we needed special permissions. And my understanding was, and I could be mistaken in this, so I'm open to correction, but as I recall, we were told that you actually had to get permission from Congress to do that. So I don't know if that comes out of the Speaker's office or if that comes out of the, um, you know, the, the leader of the Senate. I don't know who decides that you get permission, but it seemed like it was <laughs> kind of like, a, this isn't going to happen, so don't even worry about it. That's the, that's the way I took it. Um, and then I was told uh, in the months since I've been a whistleblower and kind of been out of it, I've had people reach out to me that were former intelligence analysts that said, that's mistaken, that we do this all the time. The FBI gets sources into members of Congress, and there are a shocking number of them. So when I heard that this guy, Derek, I think his name is Derek Myers, um, young kid looks like, and uh, interesting enough, I, I, I don't know if he's gay or he's not gay, but I think he is because of the sort of the background picture on his Twitter is like the, you know, the rainbow flag lit up at the White House. We had a conversation with a reporter the other day who said when you were younger, when she was younger, she used to see all the people that were congressional staffers were all, you know, young, fit, 
uh, military veterans and men who are patriotic and so on. And so she would get oogled kind of in the, in the, um, in the elevators when she would ride up and down for press briefings. And now all the congressional staffers are all gay men or a very large chunk of them are. And she said, it's a, it's a sea change because they're very uncomfortable around, you know, confident and attractive women. And so they look away and they're, they're, they're in their phones and all this kind of thing. And this kid is one of those, it's just an interesting kind of trend line, I think, as sort of the way that our society has changed. And the idea that he was in there reporting on George Santos, it doesn't surprise me at all. It surprises me that he came public with it. And then the funny thing was he said, I can confirm that I did this thing, but I can't get in the way of, of detail. So it's like, well, you already broke the confidentiality, you know, the <laughs> verbal confidentiality. There's no written right. agreement, by the way, for FBI sources. It's, it's just like, I agree to, to not tell you that, um, you know, I won't so tell anybody could, else. He could have just. He can say everything he know. wants. Yeah. Oh, So here's the other piece of it, too. Um, and a lot of people probably are taking the talking points out of the media. They don't read the indictment. I think it's important that we do the facts of it. So I read the indictment against um, against George Santos. I think it's worth noting what the, what the underlying charges are. And you're correct. There are two different $550 or $525 payments that came in um, specifically alleged to be fraud against the government. So that was the, the theft of government property. There was also some false statements that he made supposedly in front of the ethics committee. So that's another very, very light felony under... 18 U.S.C. 1001, um, false statements are kind of like the lying to the FBI. It's actually false statements in general. And then there's another sort of allegation, which they, the indictment is actually ridiculous when you read it, because it says that he basically misled donors who wanted to donate to his political campaign and wanted to give him money. And in doing so, they gave it to Company One, which he transferred to his personal bank account because he lied and said Company One was a 503. What do they call it? 504C3? I don't know. It was or one of the 501C3. It was a 501C4 or, is what he claimed okay. it was, which was like a super PAC or an advocacy group. And yeah. so he claimed it was that, but it wasn't that. And it was about $25,000. And that happened two times with two different donors. So donor one, con contributor one gave money to company one and company one wasn't the proper thing. And he moved it to bank account one, which was his personal. And then another donor, donor two, gave it to company one and he gave it to bank account company two. And then one of the other charges is that he took money from that $25,000 that donor two gave him, and he put it from bank account two into bank account one. So he moved money from one of his own bank accounts to his other bank account, and that's another criminal um, felony that they're alleging. So it's really weak stuff. I mean, when you think about it, like I get it, wire fraud is very specific and technical. It's actually not my forte in any way, shape or form, but I can read an indictment. And when you tell me that the problem is, is that somebody who wanted to give a political candidate money gave him money and it was just misclassified underneath the type of corporation. And then he transferred it and he used it for something inappropriate. We're talking about $50,000. I've turned down $50,000 cases in New Mexico, in the middle of nowhere, because there was no information or, or willingness by the United States attorney's office to prosecute a $50,000 fraud case. So this is obviously motivated by who he is. This is not like a significant amount of public corruption because those people knew they were giving money to George Santos. They just, he did it sort of in a uh, technically improper way. But yeah. I don't, you know, they may not have even cared if it was a, they could have personally gifted it to him on Gifts and Go. Okay. And, uh, and another one that came up too is that um, this Daniel Penny guy who uh, in New York City, he immobilized, uh, destroyed Neely, who was threatening violence on people, had other yep. people in the train supporting him and restraining now the DA, the same DA that dragged Trump in to indict him, is dragging him in for a show trial too. It's it. It what? It's just hard. To, I, I guess people don't know the facts, but we're just looking at political persecution, obviously, right? Yes. And so my question to you then is, if you had to guess, 
how many sources are put in other Congress people's offices? And do you think we're going to see more leaks? Are the leaks going to accelerate after this, this Santos leak happened? I think that it's possible. I can't speculate on how many. I'm, I was you know, told that it's dozens, which is a lot. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. That's all, that is crazy. I mean, that, That's a crazy statement. I can't validate it. It's just information I got, so we'll take it for what it's worth. It's a possibility. But there are a lot of people that are reporting back to the FBI in this other yeah, it just, theoretically co-equal branch. It just seems like you could, pocket that, you could just pocket that until it was politically advantageous for you to like, all right, we're going to drop up a BS charge. And well, like, that's what Hoover will did. distract from. If you think about it, this goes President? back to the FBI's. What's that? Are you saying Herbert? No. Or... Uh, J. Edgar Hoover. That was his MO. Oh. That's the reason why the FBI was so powerful in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s when he was running the organization for his whole life is that he had dirt on everybody, supposedly. But the goal that I, mm. my understanding was is that Hoover used that dirt to stay politically in the middle and, and gently push his agenda, which was generally a conservative type agenda, even though he was a transvestite. So that's weird. Um, <laughs> it's just weird. It's, it's a weird guy. It is weird. Confirmed. So Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah, end of the day, it sounded like he had dirt on both parties. And by doing so, it allowed him to basically leverage the FBI to stay in the middle where he believed it needed to be. And he was a strong hand on it, whether you like him or not. A lot of people think that he was the, you know, the only reason to, uh, to have the FBI. And then there's other people that think he was, you know, kind of the devil incarnate running around. He was a mafioso type and a gangster. And it's somewhere in the middle, I'm sure. But either way, having political dirt is the FBI's business for a very long time. I just think it used to be such a very, very small percentage and it wasn't obvious to people because nobody pushed that line. They let the FBI stay in the middle is relatively independent. That's <laughs> not the case anymore. We're seeing a very leftist group of people taking the management of the FBI. And it's bizarre because it's, it's the opposite of the kind of people that sign up for law enforcement. And that's why you yeah. end up with a guy like a Peter Strzok, who is pretty detestable. And, you know, you look at him and you think everything about this guy is the opposite of what I want in an FBI agent. He's smarmy looking. He's an adulterer. He's, um, you know, doing, they used to actually disqualify you from national security jobs if you were involved in adultery and they did the uh, polygraph. The, the, the story was, and I don't know if this is true, it may be apocryphal, but it sounds right, actually. I, I believe it to be at least true in spirit. And it's probably actually true. They said that if you were caught um, in a lie to your spouse, an adulterous lie, when you were going through your security reinvestigation, which is supposed to happen every five years, if they do that on a polygraph and they find out that you committed adultery, then they would require one of two things. You would lose your clearance or you could bring your spouse into the office and tell your spouse that, and I'm going to assume it was mostly men because that's how it went down. You would tell your, your wife that you had committed adultery in front of the security personnel so that they knew that you had told them because they didn't want you to be able to be blackmailed. Because imagine- Which is smart. Look, the American people is a nebulous concept, and the idea that you would swear allegiance to the American people, this nebulous concept, and the, the Constitution, which is a piece of paper, is very different than swearing allegiance to someone that you share a bed with every night and you go look in the eyes when you have dinner. And so if you can lie to that person, you sure as hell can lie to the American people, this you know vague idea of the masses. So it's very important traditionally, to maintain the, the, the bonds of marriage as part of your security clearance. And so people like Peter Strzok are obviously not that guy. And for me, that's who represents FBI management. It's like people who will go along to get along. They'll do all this awful behavior. They'll excuse themselves. Even when you see him, you look at him and you just go like, I detest you because of the way that you carry yourself because that kind of evil behavior, and I think it is evil, it physically manifests itself in a way that we can see it. Like people used to know that they were demons in the world. And I'm going to ask you another rapid fire. So you former military, 
we just saw an advertisement with a drag queen advertising to recruit for the Navy. Uh-huh. Why are we missing our recruiting targets? That's it. <laughs> Look, historically speaking, who wants to go join the military? I'm 27 years old when I went in, so I can speak about what I wanted to do, and I can speak about the guys that I was around, and it was a bunch of, you know, kind of red-blooded, uh, patriotic, um, violent, capable individuals, people who wanted to go and do, you know, there was a, there was a whole swing at the time that I went in. In fact, I went into the Air Force, which is pretty, pretty passive. And so they ask everybody in my basic training flight, they went through and they go, you know, why do you, why do you want to be in my Air Force? You know, kind of thing. They're doing the drill instructor. It's kind of silly when you're in the Air Force to act like you're that hard, but so be it. They do. And so they're like, <laughs> why do you want to be in my Air Force kid? You know, whatever. And then they get to me and it's like, I'm a grown man. I'm 27 years old. I'm the same age as the drill sergeant. Um, but the answer was like, I want to get my college paid for. And it's like, you know, they got to me and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I want to kill. And they're like, whoa, you know, <laughs> but that's who joins the Marine Corps. That's who joins the army. It's, you know, financial stability, a possibility of pulling yourself out of your financial situation. If you grew up with nothing, you can go learn a skill in a trade and you can contribute to the common defense. But generally speaking, people want to go and hurt feelings and break things in places where they're not going to be arrested for it. And they could do that overseas. Yeah. And that's what the U.S. military has always been very good at. It's still very good at it. They're not going there to get sex change operations when I was joining. And that was only, let's see, that's only 14 years ago. Couldn't be that long ago. You're a young guy. So, so then question is, this can't be by accident, right? I think when people look at this, they're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Why would anyone do that? They're doing it on purpose, right? Yes. Is it, is that a product of leadership being detestable people like you said? Because obviously it's, it's pushing out all of the red-blooded Americans that want to go serve their country. If that is the intention why would leadership want to do something like that? Well, we're using the wrong word because it's not leadership, it's management. And there's a distinct possibility that uh, we have lost leadership, uh, particularly in the government institutions. There's certainly not leadership at the FBI. There's management. And so I would say, you know, people would say, oh, like my chain of command. And I would always say my chain of management because it's really offensive to them because they'd like to think they're in command, but they're not. <laughs> uh, and the military has gone the same route. They have gone to this sort of left-waning um, experience of, of feelings and, and, you know, whether it be pushing the trans agenda or anything else, all of these things weaken the United States military, but it does two things. Number one, it gets you a compliant, subservient population that's willing to do what they're told because that's their value set. And that's very dangerous. And even if they are not capable of standing up to, um, they're not capable of standing up to a patriotic, red-blooded, you know, freedom fighting type of people domestically, what it does show you is it's a bunch of people that have all the very sophisticated tools that say yes, when they should say, I don't think so, or no, that's immoral. So when you get compliant types in these things, it, it does seem very um, calculated. And the second thing is it degrades most people's faith in institutions. And I don't know if that's a goal or if that's a, if that's a symptom that they are trying to avoid. They probably want us to trust them. But amusingly, it, it degrades, you know, people used to believe in the FBI when I was a kid. When I joined, yeah. you, you think the FBI was probably okay, that it had some flaws like everybody else, but it was generally good. And I don't believe that anymore. And I've seen the inside of it. That's not a good feeling. And most people probably don't trust our government as a whole, but they're getting very specific about distrust as well. Speaking of trust, why do we not have the manifesto of the Nashville shooter, but we know every, absolutely every detail of the Texas shooter's life? Yeah, why? I think, once again, they're hiding because they think it'll, it'll blow over. The media cycle goes quickly. So let me share what I know or what I've been told is going on because we have some, you know, it's a small community. People saw that manifesto, right? The person who was the cop that picked it up and put it into an evidence bag 
the people that booked it into evidence, the people that uh, had to write it up for intelligence purposes. It's, it's been shared by some people. What I'm told is, this is speculative, or this is, uh, you know, second or third hand information, so take it for what it's worth. But let's say that it's possible, because it sounds right, is that the manifesto was specifically targeting a couple of members of that, that school because the individual who did the shooting, and I guess she, that's, was it Audrey? Is that her name? Audrey Hale. Audrey Hale. Was involved in this sort of like a three-way love triangle, and one of those people was a member of the administration's family. And the administration sort of carved her away with Christian values and said, look, you cannot be involved in this thing. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. It's not what God wants for you. It's not what you're going to be most fulfilled as. And, uh, you know, this particular child basically took that, you know, adult child, by the way, um, took that to heart. And so that's why the school was targeted and there was another child there or something to that effect, if that is the case. And I, and I think that sounds feasible. What it does is it cuts against the sort of trans agenda that they are the victims which is really dangerous because that's what they want us to believe, I guess, um, that there's, you know, the violence is, is against trans people. It's not that we had six beautiful souls snuffed out, three little children who could have never done anything to deserve anything close to that. And for all the failings that I'm sure that all of us have as adults, those people didn't do anything to, to get involved in the situation. So we're taking the focus off the real victims and we're trying to keep the agenda going, which is that trans people are facing a genocide which is absurd. It's totally absurd. I don't even think there are enough trans people for there to be a, like a, a legitimate well, movement against them. It doesn't, it's a boogie. Yeah. Man. And I think another, another thing, and you talked about this on Tim Cast, like those guys that went in and took care of business, right. Saved all those lives are American heroes. I Studs. think in any other, any other generation, they'd be freedom medal from the president. They would have met with them, shaking their hands personally. I don't think enough people have thought about the fact that that didn't happen and we haven't gotten like, no, there was no mass, wow, these guys are heroes, except from one side of the aisle. But it seems like something we all should be able to get behind. And I it's think the message is really distracted from that. Yeah. Like, they have to be insane to not know that those people did something good. But think about it. They didn't get a freedom medal. They were not invited to the White House. Like, people get invited to the White House for winning the Super Bowl, which, honestly, who cares? You know, I'm, I'm not a huge sports fan because I just don't think it's relevant to modern life. But you know what's relevant is saving some lives at a, at a school and putting your life yep. on the line. And in, instead, we gave a freedom medal to Megan Rapinoe because she's a lesbian soccer player, I, which I don't care about. I don't care if she's a soccer player or a lesbian. I don't care about any of it. You can give out those medals for no reason. But if she's on the list and they're not, eh, what does that medal mean? Nothing. You've cheapened Nothing. it. Right. And uh, would you then also suggest that the fact that we know all the intimate details of white supremacist uh, shooter in Texas with Nazi tattoos and a Russian social media profile that's just a product of agenda. Or it's completely manufactured, which is also feasible. Look, the, the, the exposing agency was Bellingcat, which is funded by the CIA and MI6, from what I understand. There's money going in there. They refer to them as researchers, but they're propagandists. They're pushing a one-sided agenda. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about on TimCast, which we talked about offline as well, is that it's very easy to go and set up, you know, backdated, empty social media accounts for future purposes so that they've existed for five years, but they don't have any photos. They don't have any personal identifying information. And then when something happens, you take a bunch of useful photographs of the person, throw them up on there and you can push any agenda you want. Like, look, he liked this thing. And it was, it, it, it was so nominally or minimally backstopped, which is to say, if you dug one layer deeper, there's nothing there. Like, did they go see that the IP address traced back to the guy's house and that it was actually used there? Or was it set up in Russia? Or was it set up in, you know, somewhere out of a State Department organization or, uh, you know, anywhere? 
Is there anything that says that those are legitimate and, and valid sources of information? Because at this point, you can deep fake a voice. You can deep fake yeah. photographs very easily. AI will generate the exact same photograph that you ask it to. So the tools exist for these things to be manipulative and still have no, no actual factual basis behind them. It's really, it's a scary time because of that. But moreover, it makes me distrust things, which is what everyone should do. They should distrust everything. We learned that in the X-Files yeah. when I was in the 90s. Like, trust no one. <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, scary, um, maybe discouraging to some people. But so one thing I ask you, you know, you started your own show. You obviously sacrificed your livelihood to come out with the truth because of your beliefs. Um, what gives you solace? What, what do you fall back on when you feel discouraged and, and you feel like you're not making an impact or what you're doing is so counter to everything? What keeps you going? So I, I basically told someone at one point that I go to bed defeated every single night and I wake up again every morning and get ready to fight, put on my armor and go back to work. And it's because I have kids. That's the only reason. I have, you know, if, if it wasn't for the kids, then maybe I'd just go live in Africa or something and sell all of my possessions or I'd go live in Latin America or run around and just be like a ne'er-do-well. Because why else would you care about what the world looks like unless you know that it's going to be for people that you love and they're going to outlast you, God willing, right? That's the goal. And... um I got three little ones. I got another one on the way. It's, you know, I've got a lot of skin in this game. So I'm pot committed to making sure that this country at least doesn't go down without a fight. You know, I'm not saying we're going to win. I don't, I don't think it says anywhere. I always try to remember people that, you know, remind people. There's, uh, there's nothing in any faith tradition that says that the United States of America will triumph and, uh, you know, conquer evil at some point. Like we could, many, many empires have fallen, uh, including ones that were inspired by and supported by the church. So yeah. there, there's no, there's no ultimate, um, assurance that we win. We being people who want to live in America the way that I grew up in it. But, you yeah. know, I also believe at least that- At least temporarily. Right. Say, exactly. You do correct. know we win at the end. Yeah. That's right. But, but on this earth, you know, and this, and this particular nation, does it survive? I don't know. I'm going to try. I kind of believe in the sort of uh, moniker that someone told me at one point, they said, you know, pr cry out to God for help, but also row for the shore. And- so you don't sit in the boat and wait for the wave to carry you in and do nothing. Like you got to do your part. And my part is I got to wake up every day. I got to tell people what I know. I got to tell people what I believe. I got to bring on voices that I think are valuable and, and my show in particular. I just had a guy from the State Department on this morning. And, you know, we're, the goal is to give people the tools to push back in their own way, to give people the tools to be able to hold their representatives accountable and so on. And, you know, we all have different kind of gifts. I've always had the ability to stand up in front of people and talk. I can string a sentence together on the fly. I don't know if you've ever seen, um, it's like, maybe, maybe it was in the uh, Star Wars. I don't know. It's like a visual I have of like some guys walking across a bridge and the bridge is not there. And as he's, maybe it's Magneto. That's what it is. It, it's, a, it's an X-Men thing. He's walking, right? And he's bringing the magnet pieces together to build a, a metal bridge as he's walking over a void, right? In real time. That's the way that my thought process works. I've always been that way. I don't even know what I'm going to say until I say it. But I bring the words together and they, they always seem to make sense in a sentence that is, that is um, logically following, you know, the, the previous one. The words kind of all come together. And I know people that can't do that. So that's one of those weird gifts that I believe I have. So I'm going to use it. And this is the way that I use it. I, I grew up with a microphone when I was three years old. I sat in front of a microphone and recorded stuff at my dad's radio station. I never wanted the life. I never wanted to be in media. I never wanted to be a journalist. I had the opportunity. Um, but I don't really have a choice in some ways because... It is the way to fight right now. It's a it's an information war until it becomes a, a you know a kinetic yeah. war. Have you heard the phrase "Who's going to carry the boats"? No, 
I don't think I have. That's a, that, that's a David Goggins phrase. It's like whenever he's doing something crazy, like I'm, I'm going to run for 100 miles because who's going to carry the boats? Like when someone needs to carry the boats. And that reminds me a lot of you. So Kyle, uh, if people want to get more Kyle Serafin, if they want to get engaged in the fight, if they want the information tools, where can they find you? Yeah, God forbid they want more Kyle Serafin, but it's out there. Uh, they can go to <laughs> kyleserafin.com. That's an easy way to find it. We have the audio podcast there and there's links to our Rumble channel. Um, if they want to go direct to the video channel and watch some of the old interviews we've done, they can go to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. And then if they want the uh, the musings and uh, social machinations, that happens on Twitter and True Social, and those are both at Kyle Serafin. So I've kept it very straightforward. It's just my name. Anywhere you go, find me. I'm on YouTube a little bit. I think we'll start be doing some more of that. But uh, uh, nice. yeah, they can find it always with just the name. I figure there's a lot of power in branding yourself. Yeah, I mean, I just got a, a Twitter follow from Kyle Serafin, so I'm feeling pretty good at T. Pogasic. You know, I just got blocked by Father James Martin, so my uh, my journey is just beginning. That's right. So, you you Kyle, lost one, but you picked up another. One door, I think uh, so. one door closes and a window <laughs> opens, right? Always, always. <laughs> Kyle, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate the time, and best of luck with all your endeavors. Sounds good. It was fun. Thanks, Tom.